You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 254 of Podcateers. Well, the MCU as we know it has come to an end, and the decade-plus-long story arc is finally over. If you had a chance to watch Avengers Endgame uh, this last weekend, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the film. Uh, of course, we're going to try to keep it as spoiler-free as possible to respect anybody that hasn't had a chance to watch it yet. Gavin also tells us about this really cool project in this episode featuring my favorite Avenger, Iron Man. We hear Gavin and Melissa's thoughts on the debut of Mickey's Magic at Disney California Adventure, and Melissa tells us a little about Walt Disney's Silly Symphonies. Remember that you can join the conversation on Instagram, Twitter, or on Facebook. Just search for Podcateers. Or you can even leave a comment on the blog post for this episode at podcateers.com slash 254. Also, we've extended the promo code NUMNUM through the end of May 2019 for 10% off your entire order of Podcateers gear. Check out podcateers.com slash gear for some of the items in our clothing line, including our new Ice Queen and Num Num cookie shirts. Before we continue, I want to send a huge thank you to all of the members of the FGP squad for their help in making these episodes of Podcateers possible. The FGP squad, or as we like to call them, our podcast fairy godparents, are a group of listeners just like you that help us out with monthly contributions via Patreon. If you like the podcast and would like to help us out by becoming part of the FGP squad, you can get more information at podcateers.com FGP. If you're not able to join the FGP squad but you still want to help us out, there's a simple thing that you can do. The next time that you need to purchase something from Amazon, start your purchase by going to podcateers.com Amazon. Once there, click on the big ol' Amazon button on that page. It'll take you to Amazon's homepage using our special referral link, and anything that you buy will earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon for mentioning them on this podcast. If you're already doing this before each purchase, we'd like to take this opportunity to thank you as well. And that's it. It's time to do this. So here we go. This is episode 254 of Podcateers. Honestly, I don't think you really understand the feelings that course through your body, Gavin, at the end of this film. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I know that you're not uh-huh. a big Marvel fan, but I mean, <laughs> I, I've had over a decade invested into this, and to finally get this payoff, I I'm I'm emotionally bound to this. <laughs> All right. Bound enough to perpetrate acts of violence against another person if they downgrade that a little bit. Other people be crazy, yo. Right. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, I get it. It's it's not right for people to spoil it, but it's also not right to cause them physical harm. I agree. So that I agree. Ultimately, it's a movie. It's it's a way of life. It is. I mean, enjoy it, but don't 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 put yourself in a position where someone has that much control over you that you need to lash out with that type of behavior in order to combat it. That's that's I just I can't 100%, get behind that. 100%. Sorry. 
That's yeah. that's why I walked in with my headphones on with the music full blast. Sure. I was like, yeah. I have to avoid. I don't trust anybody. Guardians is going to play. Let's just uh, let's go. <laughs> if, hey, and that's a great solution. If if it's going to ruin it, if it's truly going to ruin your experience, then shield yourself from it. Earplugs, yeah. headphones, you know, something that isn't going to, you know, allow that person to ruin it for you if they're going to be that person and i'm not saying that person's justified either that whoever spoils things they're yeah whatever they're they're not playing fair they're not fun to be around i get it but yeah i mean you can't control what they do yeah so control your experience and if it's important to you to not know anything about the movie going in First of all, don't watch trailers. Second of all, uh, just, yeah, earplugs. I like that. Yeah, that's a really great solution. <laughs> you know what? Did you guys hear about the football player that tweeted out what had happened? No. no. People, his fans are upset and, like, calling for him not to play and all this jazz. I'm like, dang. Wait. This is wow. a foosball player? Yeah. I don't. Yes. I forgot his name. Professional I, table gotcha. foosball. <laughs> Which of the little plastic men on a stick is he? he I just know they play and they throw a ball and it's mm. not baseball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a sidetrack here for a second. Um, mm? Hayes, and this may particularly interest you. Um, at Matter Hackers, where I work, uh, we have several super nerdy, amazing printed uh, projects around our office. One of them is a collaboration that we did with a YouTuber who does woodworking. And it's a half 3D printed, half um, woodcrafted foosball <gasps> table. And it Whoa. has custom foosball players. One side is Stormtroopers. The other side is Iron Man. Get out. <laughs> yeah, that's in our office. That's and rad. we can play it anytime we want. It's cool, right? Wow. The the files are free on our website, so anybody can download the plans and build it themselves. And I know that some people have and done like Tyrannosaurus Rex versus Batman. Like you can do whatever you want. <laughs> that man. is so cool. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to put the link up in the blog post for this episode. So if any of you have access to a 3D printer and want to print this out, you can head over to podcasters.com slash 254 for the link to to get these plans downloaded. And if you're interested in buying a 3D printer, hit up Gavin. Just follow him on social media. Just Gavin Audison Art on Instagram. Send him a DM. I'm sure he'll give you all the details that you need to purchase your own 3D printer because they're rad. I love them. And now I feel like I want to play on this foosball table. So I'm going to have to go visit you at work, (laughs) dude. Yeah. Yeah. Come by anytime. We have an open door. We give tours. We show people (sighs) around. It's fun. Uh, But yeah, back to the whole thing that started this conversation. Uh, I, I mean, look, me personally, I know exactly what you're talking about. hundred percent. It should never lead to violence. If somebody ruins the film for you. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a bleep move, but at the same time, it should never yeah. lead down that road. I personally had to stay off of the internet as much as possible. Right. Starting last Tuesday, because of the fact that I knew that the world premiere was happening and there was a lot of people seeing it around the world 
and I knew something was going to leak and I didn't want to be in that situation. So it was difficult for me to post things online, to post reminders, to post, you know, stuff for the podcast because I I didn't want to accidentally scroll through something. And my Google News, I temporarily filtered all of the stuff that said Marvel so that I wouldn't be getting those alerts because I didn't want to hear about it. Smart. And and what triggered it was that there was one article that somebody posted that said something in the title that made me think, wait a second, is that a spoiler or is this just something that they're theorizing? And I didn't want to I didn't want to dig deeper into it. So I thought, okay, you know what? I'm just blocking all Marvel stuff until I watch this film. I, I don't want to go into it knowing anything about it. I've already seen the trailers. I'm already sold. I just want to experience this for myself. And so that was kind of my headphones, right? That, that nice. was kind of my week-long headphones in order to just go into this as clean as possible. It worked. I don't nice. know if... I'm happy or sad that three of my theories actually panned out on the film, which we'll talk about, you know, in another episode or maybe we'll do a special episode. Maybe some of our friends want to join us and have a, a conversation about just Marvel in general. I don't know. We'll figure something out. Yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah. I'm the down. point is, again, I don't know if I'm happy or sad if some of these theories that I had panned out. Uh, all I know is that the film itself, just like the entire series, has been an emotional roller coaster for me. I think it was uh, a great way to wrap up what they have now dubbed the Infinity Saga. So all of these films have been mm. clumped into that title. And I'm sure they're going to release a box set that contains all the films with an Infinity Gauntlet. And if they do, I'm going to do my best to own that because that's just awesome. Um, nice but yeah uh mel i mean how did you leave the theater because personally again three hours is a long time and you experience a lot of emotions in that time like at the end not because of anything that happened in the film but overall i i had a bit of sadness because i knew that this was coming to an end i know that there's a new beginning coming But like I said, I've Mm -hmm. had over a decade invested into this. And honestly, I don't think I've ever had like a movie franchise or anything like that really keep me uh, enthralled as long as the MCU has. Yeah. Honestly, I could just say that I didn't even feel that it felt like three hours. Yeah. Nothing. And the fact that I didn't get bored, I was glued. I sometimes have a short attention span. I do. So, you know, if I'm watching something, sometimes I'll get bored, but I didn't feel anything. In the end, I didn't feel sad. I felt so satisfied. And that's, that's kind of hard, you know, to feel. It's so different than, gosh, this is kind of weird to say. You know, I love Tim Burton's movies, but I, I felt something so different. After watching Endgame, I really did. It's weird. And I'm not a big, you know, I haven't read any of the comics. But something just made me feel like, dang, this was like perfect. You know, regardless of the tears, of the cheers, of the laughter. It just felt 
man, that was like the best recipe ever. Like that was the best cake yeah. ever. <laughs> it, it, it's strange, man. You experience every single emotion that I think you humanly possibly can. <laughs> and maybe even mm-hmm. robotically. Who knows? I mean, I, I don't know what's taken <laughs> in there. But the point is, great film. I want to watch it again. I saw in yeah. the in the credits that it was formatted and filmed for IMAX. So a part of me wants to watch it in IMAX to see what I missed in on the screen that we saw it in. Uh, I totally get what you're saying about the boredom part because there are films that I've watched that halfway through I'm just thinking like, man, this is just dragging. Like how much longer before yeah. they like kick it up and I see the story arc begin to really, you know, like the Thor movies, for instance. <laughs> but... This one did really well balancing everything. Uh, It felt like Infinity War, right? Infinity War had so many characters in it and so many subplots that I, going into it, I remember thinking like, how are they going to juggle this? How are they going to make this happen? Mm -hmm. And they did the same thing in this one. And it just, it was brilliant how they executed it. I want to watch it again. The whole board thing kind of made me a a chuckle. I had to move away from the mic a bit because uh, our youngest son, while we were watching it, you know, the whole time, I I wanted to make sure that they didn't have to get up to go to the restroom because, you know, tiny bladders. (laughs) And so I'm thinking like, okay, limit what they drink, you know, tiny drinks just to get the popcorn down. Before we started, you got to go potty, guys. You got to go. I'm not going to get up in the film. They were both troopers. They lasted the entire film. But my youngest son, halfway through, I mean, there's a lot of dialogue, right? Because they're discussing, like, you know, all these people are gone. What are they going to do? And so they're trying to concoct a plan, just like they've talked about in the trailers. And when all that talking was happening, my youngest son's like, Dad, is it over yet? When is it going to end? There's just so much talking. When are they gonna do something? And so he just starts. And I could, I could understand he's that. He's just sitting there going. <laughs> I was like, dude, you gotta be quiet. People are watching. He's like, <laughs> I was like, son, quiet. Best, best commentary, dude. It ever. was insane. Finally, I told him, I was like, look, if you don't want to watch it, just take a nap. He's like, I'm not gonna take a nap. I was like, well, you probably need one right now. And he just kind of looked at me like, oh, man, you're crazy. And he just went back to watching the movie. And thankfully, the action picked up. And then he was just kind of into the film again. There was one annoying part. There was a critical point in the film uh, where somebody's phone just went off. (gasps) And not only did it go off, they let it keep going. No, They let it keep going. And they had one of those ringtones that's a song. They let the song play. And so everybody's oh turning God. around saying like, hey, shh, quiet, oh. quiet. And the guys are like, yeah, uh-huh, I'm trying. You could tell he wasn't, right? <gasps> and so then he answers it. And he's on speakerphone talking while the film is rolling. And people are just angry at this point, right? And it was, Dude, it was a <laughs> critical point. In something that was happening in the film, and then this guy just wow. goes off. So I'm happy that it didn't turn to violence, but I'm sure that had he not hung up his phone after being, That's let's rude. say, 
persuaded by the flying food, uh, I'm sure that it may have turned into violence. <laughs> Amazing. Ah. Um. Uh. Oh, man. I, I don't even know when it's going to be a, a good time to start talking about this film. But if you had a chance to watch Endgame this last weekend, uh, it did break all box office yes. records that were previously set by, I believe, The Force Awakens. Oh, it really? It made $1.2 billion in, yep. in its opening. I think it hit that in the first three or four days. Whoa, wait, wait, it wait. Is, it's over a billion already. It's yes. $1.2 billion, yeah. It opened overseas what? as well. Like yeah. before here. So that's going to break all the records then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Wow. In the first three days, I think it it, it did insane. like opening night, opening week, opening overseas. It did. Yeah. This. I don't know if we're ever going to see a film of this magnitude again. Like, yeah. I, I know we've talked about the series itself, but the hype behind this mm-hmm. film wasn't just the fact that it was these superheroes. Like I said earlier, it was this over a decade long buildup that led up to this. Mm-hmm. And it's so crazy to think that at the beginning, it wasn't even a thought. Yeah. Yeah. It's really impressive. And I think... I think what it's done now is it's really actually sealed the deal that the next Disneyland parking structure has to be a Marvel structure. I, I yeah. think that's what it's <laughs> done. <laughs> Pretty it's, much. It's right. past Star Wars. It's now the Kling Clang King of the Rim Ram Room. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so Iron Man, Captain America, Groot. Who else? Black um, Panther. Yeah, Star-Lord. that's a good one. That's a good. I'm well, not, you can't I have two like different have guardians. Groot. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Um, who? Oh, and Captain Marvel. Uh, I guess. Yes. I mean, <laughs> how did I yeah. get, not get that? I, I feel like those would be the levels. Yeah, I could see that. I could see yeah. that. Maybe. Yeah, that's probably good. I think yeah. they'd want to if they could do Spider-Man because he's he's big. Oh yeah. Did we mention yeah. Thor? Nah, but Thor wouldn't get a level. Loki. <sighs> that hurts me, man. Wait, there would be uh, six levels, right? Uh, Mar- Marvel would no? be like ten levels. Oh, no, six. <laughs> but there's yeah. standard six levels, right? At each one. So, yeah. So, Currently, it would be Iron yeah. Man, Captain America, Groot, Captain Marvel, and Spidey. Yeah, that's only five. Oh, then we still have Wait, one. I st- I g- apparently, I don't know how to count. Oh, we still got one more space. <laughs> uh, oh, and Black Panther. That's the other yeah. one I mentioned. Okay, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. So, mm. that's six. I think that's a good set. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I'm fine. All right. Well, as I was saying, if you had a chance to watch Endgame this last weekend and contributed to that $1.2 billion purse, as they call it in the sports, uh, leave us a comment. Tell us how you felt about it. Uh, Let's try to be as spoiler-free as possible, obviously, when we're talking about it and be respectful to the people that have yet to see it. I know that there's a lot of people at work that – tried to get tickets this weekend but a lot of stuff was sold out so they're either watching it sometime middle of this week or this coming weekend so remember try not to spoil the end game (laughs) right okay i have a question though and i'm gonna ask it in a way that won't spoil anything and um you guys try to answer it without spoiling anything Mickey it, Mouse. It's how <laughs> it's how the Marvel movies affect the parks differently than 
any other types of movies under the Disney umbrella. And that's with the character meet and greets. Now, Mm -hmm. I personally don't know who all the Marvel meet and greet characters are, but I'm just going to throw a generic scenario out there. If one of the meet and greet characters were a character that died in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, would it be a problem for them to continue doing a meet and greet, like for story wise? You know what I mean? Like, or yeah. is it is it cool for them to make that exception? Like, what do you guys think? Like, would you like to see them like not be a meet and greet if they're not alive in the universe anymore? Or would you still want them to be a meet and greet? All right. So I'm glad that you asked this question because I had a mini conversation very similar to this mm-hmm. with someone at work. And the answer that I gave is it doesn't matter because those characters have a legacy within the MCU that I think people are going to respond to regardless of the outcome in this film. Got it. A lot of the people that would go to the parks in some cases maybe haven't even seen the films. They're aware of the characters and may have not even seen the film. So I don't think Disney would care, honestly. Nah. I think they would just do the meet and greets. At least I would. Well, I wouldn't think that Disney would care, but I'm talking about for the fans' perspective. Would they care? Uh, I, I wouldn't, no. Okay. I would love to see them in the park. It's just because you say... don't have many real examples on the other side of any other properties, except for a couple of the villains, I guess. Mm-hmm. We have technically yeah. Yeah. understood that they've died. You don't actually see a lot of death, but you know you can basically assume that, for example, Gaston died. After that perilous fall, right? But right. He's, what? he's walking around Fantasyland, you know? <laughs> what? So I guess there are examples, but not in the same way, right? Not in the same, like, Yeah, sense. I'll give you an example, and I'll use somebody that's not in Infinity War. I'm going to use somebody that was just reacquired. Let's talk about Logan. Okay, we'll talk about Wolverine. So Wolverine, if, let's say that he was at the very beginning of the MCU and all of these films started with him. Wolverine has his own legacy. And we get to this 11-year story arc and Wolverine happens to die in this final film. Mm-hmm. If Wolverine appeared in the parks, I personally as a fan would love it. Because okay. it would be my yeah. chance to go get a picture with him and just be like, wow, I was a part of your story. You know, aside from that, I feel like when you see the the characters in the park, there's a little bit of Disney magic tied into it the same way that it is with the Disney princesses or any of the other face characters, where regardless of what's happened in the films, a lot of kids and a lot of people that meet those uh, characters think of them as actors in those films. You know, they're cast members. They're part of a larger production. Mm -hmm. So Mickey is is the primary example of this where anytime that you go into Mickey's house, which Mickey are you going to get? Are you going to get Steamboat Willie? Are you going to get, you know, the Sorcerer's Apprentice? Are you going to get just, you know, glammed up Mickey? Who knows? The point is that Mickey is a part of these shorts. He plays a role in all of these cartoons that he's been in. And I think the other characters in the park are seen in a very similar fashion. Well, we could also think of it like this. How many times have we seen Maleficent die as a dragon? But I'll watch True. it over and over. True. <laughs> it's all oh, good. <laughs> in in Fantasmic? Yeah. yeah. Got it. Um, yeah. So real quickly, back to the Marvel talk. Sunday, after seeing PhilharMagic, hearing... Which I want to talk about uh, that too, by the way. <laughs> yes. Hearing the music, and I kept telling Jill, I'm, I'm getting chills. I keep getting chills. 
I didn't have that before. I, I don't know why I didn't really have that before Endgame, but it just sparked something. Like, I was excited to just hear everything and see the characters. And it wouldn't matter if what we just spoke about, you know, yeah. was happening. It's just, yeah. it just, it was so cool. Just the atmosphere and stuff. And I guess that fresh feeling of all those emotions and whatnot. I'm excited for you, Hazen, to just go back and just experience that. I mean, hopefully you do. Yeah. No, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think I'm going to feel it even more once the larger portion of the Mm -hmm. Marvel stuff is open because I'm going to see so much more in regards to all of these films that make up this Infinity Saga. And as the Marvel presence becomes larger in the parks, I'm going to feel it more and more and more, right? Yeah. Uh, I know how you feel about the music. Anytime after watching the very first Avengers that I hear the Avengers theme, oh, like inside, (laughs) like I just feel this warm feeling come over me uh, that's like (laughs) heroic and just makes you want to go out there and just get things done. Uh, you know, whenever I have an opportunity to go uh, during my lunch break, I tend to eat at my desk. And then on my lunch break, I'll go walk for a little bit. I'll either walk outside or go on a treadmill or on an elliptical because we have a like a gym at work. The Avengers theme is one of the songs that I do that to because it nice. just motivates me. Like it just it, it gets you into that mood of like, yeah, I can get things done. And there's not a lot of songs that will do that for me but Mm -hmm. anytime i hear that theme it's just it just fits so well it's just one of the greatest themes ever composed to me and there's that's a strong comment because there are tons of songs that become synonymous with the film itself like there's so many film scores and so many soundtracks out there that you can listen to and some people are like oh wow that's on that movie oh that came out in that movie but there are just certain ones that as soon as you hear them you know exactly Mm -hmm. how it made you feel the first time you saw it you know exactly you know that that feeling that you get every single time that it comes on and the avengers theme for me is one of those so who, who did that I, I music? Know what you're talking about. Huh? Who did that music? Alan Silvestri? Oh, yes. Okay. Did he do the the whole MCU or just certain films? No. No. I mean it was it was a lot of different people, but oh, Alan okay. Silvestri uh was the original composer for that theme. Oh okay. Danny Elfman's one of them too. Really? Yeah, he did Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I liked I liked that one because it had James Spader's voice in it. Ah, oh, so good. I like James Spader. Yeah, I like James Spader, too. He did <laughs> such a good job in that role. Yeah, he uh, was good. I agree. It was the perfect casting. Yeah. The cadence that he puts behind the execution of every line that he did as oh, Ultron yeah. was yeah. just just so <laughs> perfect. I agree. Ah, <laughs> uh, love it. So I, 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 as much as I want to continue talking about uh, Marvel stuff. Oh, one more thing. I don't know how long <laughs> this is going to be up. But I know I sent this to you guys, and we were just having a crazy good time with it. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, go to Google, type in Thanos, and then a little Infinity Glove, or Infinity, Infinity Glove, Infinity Gauntlet (laughs) will appear uh, on the left-hand side. Click on it. You'll see a snap just like it happened in Infinity War, and then you'll get a surprise. Yep. That's all I'm going to tell you. 
So go to Google. You could do it on your phone. You can do it on a desktop. It doesn't matter. It's just super cool what Google did. Like most of their Easter eggs, uh, it might be up for a while, but I don't have a time frame. So the faster that you can try it out, the better. Just super cool. Just a little Easter egg for you there. Yeah, and even I enjoyed it. You don't have to have seen or know the films to get it. Like, you know enough already to get it. It's good. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this weekend, uh, unfortunately, uh, I had some family stuff that I had to attend to, and I didn't get a chance to go see Mickey's PhilharMagic. I know both of you saw it with our friend Jill. All right, tell me, <laughs> what can I expect? Because I'm super psyched. Uh, this coming weekend, I believe I'm going to get a, a bit of a chance to run off and check it out. What was it like? I went straight back in line right after I left. <laughs> Did you? Yes. And it's because it, this is totally weird, totally weird. So this week is literally a five-year mark since I've been to Florida. So oh, to wow. actually experience this again was like, oh, like it filled what I was missing. Because it's such a cute attraction. And so well done. Oh, my God. So well done. Yeah, I was I told you guys on the show when we first talked about it, when they announced it, that I was excited to see it because it's one that I knew of from Magic Kingdom, but never have experienced and, you know, was really excited. I had my reservations about it being such an older attraction that they're bringing in. And I thought, ah, it's going to probably look pretty dated, blah, blah, blah. No. Mm-mm. Get rid of all those doubts. Um, yeah. It is phenomenal. I was blown away. I went for about two and a half hours and I saw it three times. <laughs> and I got to see it with uh, Mel and Jill. And um, we got to discuss it a little bit. Uh, we saw it from the very back right hand corner. So we could see everything because they use the side screens for um, additional content. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. And yeah. So and the first time I saw it, I was center second row. So right up front. And then I saw it with Melissa from the back right. And then I saw it again, trying to get as close to the very center of the theater as I could. And it doesn't matter where you sit. You basically get the same experience. You might lose some of the peripherals, um, but none of the actual story content is there. It's just additional um, effects kind of that go on over there. Got it. But I'm telling you, like, I want to talk about it so much, but I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't had a chance to see it. It's so phenomenal. And it celebrates classic Disney and renaissance disney those are the two marks that it hits and it hits them so hard and so effectively i couldn't believe it because it it turns them all into 3d animation right Mm -hmm. so you've got 3d characters that you would never expect to see in 3d and they look phenomenal they're so good and some of the scenes that you get to like go into in this 3d experience are absolutely impressive I, wow. I cannot recommend this highly enough you know we we mentioned it when we walked out of the attraction that it was so easy to get in line there's not a big line for oh, yeah. it yeah 
That's what scares me a little because everything that's gone to that theater has died because of lack of popularity. I think it's a terrible location. They don't it, it when you're walking by, if you don't know DCA, you don't know that that's an attraction, you know? Like yeah. there's nothing saying like here, come in here. This is an attraction. It's it's a weird setup. And I wish they would address it because this is something that deserves to have staying power. And I'm afraid it might not. But they've done a wonderful job renovating that theater and making it look like it was always meant for this. Mm -hmm. And five out of five stars. It it was amazing. The best way to describe the 3D, I have astigmatism. So for me, 3D kind of could be hit or miss. I was sitting at the far end like the first seat at the very corner and i still got really good 3d mm-hmm. really? no matter what yeah it's really and effective 3d i agree yeah and do they do it with the the aid of the glasses or is it just yes uh, with, uh, with yes. oh so you do need to wear the glasses okay. yes. yes yes yeah and okay. it is 4d uh-huh. so there are additional nice. effects which you can experience that's cool. Now, yeah. Mel, uh, yeah. considering that you've seen the one at Walt Disney World, is it a carbon copy? Actually, no. The one in Florida, if I'm not mistaken, it has a Donald animatronic. Oh. So that's a little bit different. But I, I didn't feel like I needed it. You know, mm-hmm. it just it didn't feel like that. So we um, didn't get the animatronic here? No. Oh, interesting. But there is something we get and i don't want to say i'm just gonna say just enjoy the show okay because that'll be a spoiler got it yeah it's man it's so good i was (laughs) just i was so impressed by it and i yeah i just i can't say enough about it and it is it is a medley of songs that they Mm -hmm. put together right oh yeah how well do you feel that they did with interweaving them because that's one of my complaints, like with Paint the Night, for instance, there's certain segments that just feel super rough cut and they don't really meld well together. Mm-hmm. How do they do as far as transitioning from one segment to another using the music this time? It's more of a storyline. Oh, so it okay. has a flow to it. So it's not like chop, 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 chop. It has yeah. like this happens, like little transitions to kind of hint to the next thing. Yeah. And... um. Like, that's what makes it really good. Yeah, it's not so much a medley as it is just a series of songs. So there's something happening that kind of carries you from one song to another. But it's not like you go from... I'm going to use two totally random examples because they're not in it. But it's not like you go from uh, When You Wish Upon a Star right into uh, Bare Necessities. And it's like, whoa, that's a weird medley transition, you know? Uh, it's not like that at all. It's basically like one kind of sets up another and sets up another, but they don't, they don't have to like, you know, do weird key transitions or anything like that. It's, it's so good. And it's, and to me, for most of them, it sounded like the actual soundtrack audio. So it is so purely the music, you know, and love, like they didn't try and do a new version of it. Right. It's like, it's like the actual music that you know and love. And that's what I loved about it is that it wasn't a, you know, a glossed over contemporized version you know, it was basically lifted from the films. 
Was there any dialogue in this version in yeah. between the, the segments? Yeah, there's a little bit of dialogue. So that's the story part. Not, so it's kind of like lot, a Renaissance a Fantasia, little. basically. You could say that. Kind of. You could say that. Okay. More like Fantasia 2000 than Fantasia. Okay. Because okay. there's yeah. a bit of a, a through story. Got it. Yeah. But it's oh, man. beautiful. Oh, like beyond beautiful. what I expected. <laughs> Way okay. beyond. So here's the plan. So this weekend, we're going to try to set a few hours aside. We're going to go watch Mickey's Philhar Magic. And yeah. then we're going to go to Black Tap Burgers and try some of their food. Ooh, yeah. I like this plan. <laughs> and some beer. Uh, I like this plan even more. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd be on board. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to see this. I, I know when the announcement was first made... I was kind of giddy about it because I had only seen pieces of it because it's difficult for anyone to really record it. And there are videos on YouTube, but they're poorly made because Mm -hmm. of the 3D element. And that's why I was asking if it required the glasses or not, because I thought, well, you know, if there's people that can't make it to the park, maybe we can put it up on YouTube. But the necessity of the glasses really does make it difficult to record that in a way that you could see it on YouTube. Yeah. And... Uh, man, I'm so excited. Okay. You're going to yeah. love it. It's it's so, <laughs> so good. Don't be surprised if I go back in line because <laughs> it's so cute. Yeah, it's awesome. All right. Well, just like you know, we asked with the last topic, if you had a chance to watch Mickey's Philhar Magic this last weekend or any time that you've heard this podcast, let us know what you thought and especially how it compared to your experience when you saw it at Disney World if you've ever had that opportunity. Uh, I know we've already received some comments on the post that we had put when you guys went to go watch it this weekend. Disneyland Resort Photos posted, I was so excited when I heard this was coming to DCA. I saw it on Friday and Saturday. Love, love, love. We also had a comment. I thought this one was funny because one of the pictures you posted from inside the theater, Caitlin Noel says, I have seen it and I actually see the back of my head in that last photo. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of cool. Amazing. (laughs) That was pretty funny. Uh, Cindy Hug says, it was so cute. I loved it. So, yeah, I mean, leave your thoughts. Join the conversation over on Instagram, Twitter, or on Facebook. Just search for Podcateers. We'd love to hear your thoughts on what you thought of Mickey's Philhar Magic. And did you go back in line like Mel did? Because <laughs> apparently it's a thing you can do. Yeah. Uh, Mel, I didn't check. Yeah. but there, And I don't think there would be because it doesn't make sense for it really. But it's there's not a fast pass for that, right? No. Yeah, it, and now that I think about it, that's kind of a silly question because I don't know how they would even do that. So, mm. yeah, I, I, re, I retract said silly question. <laughs> Look, I think it just needs to build traction. Yeah. I think once it I gets to the so. point, it could require something like it where they do like the world of color type fast passes where, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, I don't know. They can think of something. But what you said earlier about the location of that theater, I totally get it, man. When you're walking into that area, if you're not staring right down the street into the Hyperion, you kind of veer slightly to the left and you see that big entrance that they use for food and wine and everything else. 
but it's cut into this weird V shape where it's a super hard left to get to yeah. the entrance of that theater, mm-hmm. but it's just a slight left to go right into Monsters Inc. Right. So yeah. I, I get what you're talking about. And I wish they did a little bit more, you know, with signage or something pointing in that direction that said, hey, come experience this or maybe play the music or mm-hmm. down on, on Hollywood Boulevard. Say, hey, the next showing of Mickey's Philhar Magic is coming up, you know, or do something to promote it. Yeah. Because like you said, this show, I think, really should have uh, a long run in yeah. that theater, especially considering that they haven't really done anything except for show previews there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think even if they just created signage that was perpendicular from the entrance, you know, that jutted out into that space so that when you looked into that Hollywood land backlot area, you didn't see it from the side, but you saw it sticking out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, like, yeah. you have to kind of walk in there and get in front of it to even see what it is. But if you could see it from Hollywood Boulevard sticking out there, then I feel like more people would venture in and, uh, and you know, see what it is. I, I will say that on one of my jaunts back there, there was kind of a jarring experience that I had because I rounded the corner thinking I'm going to go see Phil Magic for my third time. And one of the uh, Black Panther guard ladies mm-hmm. was like right outside of it. I forget what they're called. But the, yes, the super awesome like warrior woman. And she was yeah. sitting there with this cold hard stare (laughs) and i like i was bounding the corner and i smiled (laughs) at her and i kind of waved and she just stared right back at me and i got kind of a chill before i went into that theater but it was also kind of really good at that yeah Uh Yeah. (laughs) they're so intimidating i love them (laughs) but it was a jarring juxtaposition against one against the other that's funny (laughs) (laughs) oh man so many good things to talk about this last weekend. Um, what else? Oh, FYI. Remember we had the conversation about Disney World and Disneyland, all Disney parks really, not having people smoke in the parks and then limiting the size of the strollers? Yep. Mm-hmm. Remember when we talked about it, Gavin, you had an idea and you were like, hey, maybe they should what? Do you remember what you said? I said maybe they should have a box or something that they can like a template that they can put their stroller into and and see if it's too big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought it was a fantastic idea. And apparently so did Disney. So did Disney. <laughs> <laughs> because we started seeing photos pop up on social media of these big blue and white boxes in the parking structures and parking lots that have measurements saying, you know, your stroller should fit within this box. And if it does, fantastic. You're good to go. Mm-hmm. You know, and if not, take it back to the car. So are they listening? Yeah. That, oh, I yeah. think that pretty much proves it. The evidence <laughs> is piling up that they are definitely listening, definitely stealing our ideas, and definitely not paying us for them. Come on, Disney. Uh, look, we'll just settle for D23 tickets. <laughs> All right. All three days. <laughs> All right. right. Someone snoozed and loosed, didn't they? Yeah, <laughs> I totally did. Oh, as man. soon as I saw the announcement 
that the three-day ticket packages were already sold out, I just got so bummed out because last year or the I, I keep wanting to say last year but last time I, I remember I missed out on Saturday yep and then the experience that I had on Friday and Sunday ugh you know it was one of those things but yep you know it's funny I found some of the footage recently from that D23 Expo mm-hmm. I thought it was lost because at first I had some problems with the memory cards that that footage was on mm-hmm. and I was going through some stuff I did some repairs and I was able to recover some of it so I'm wondering if I should post some of that as lost footage on the YouTube channel I've talked about this before because I found other footage from other stuff too and I just didn't know what to do with it. Like, it mm-hmm. was just one of those timely things that I feel like, ah, do people really want to go back and watch something that happened two years ago? But I think it could be done in such a way where we just kind of tell the story mm-hmm. and then we show the footage. Yeah, and yeah. maybe that'll kind of help push it along. So I'll come up with something. <laughs> but I was pretty psyched because there was just a couple moments in there that uh, I wanted to keep. There was a moment where we were talking to Don Hahn that I wanted to make sure that I didn't lose and I thought I had lost forever. I remember walking around the expo with our buddy Skyler from the Diz Insider and we walked up because Don Hahn was there promoting the the exhibit that they were doing at the Walt Disney Family Museum. And I just started talking to him and I was like, hey, would you mind if I took a video? He's like, no, not at all. Let's do this. And he gave me full-blown interview. We were just talking about the exhibit I felt like a real reporter that day, guys. <laughs> I felt like a real reporter. <laughs> so it was kind of a surreal moment for me. I wish I would have had a chance to speak with him longer because I love Don Hahn. I love a lot of his work, and I really respect him as a creator and just a director and just everything that he does. Uh, so I hope I get the opportunity to do that again one day, but maybe hopefully the next time it's a sit down thing where mm-hmm. we get a chance to interview him on the podcast. So Thank putting God. it out in the universe, bring us Don Hahn. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Um, well, I, I want to get into this week's topic because I was so excited when I saw what we were going to be getting into next. And Mel, I I, got to tell you, I'm a little jealous that you're talking about this one (laughs) because I would have loved to do this one. But this week, we're going to be bringing you some information and history on the Silly Symphonies. Yeah. I'm so excited about this. This is Uh, so much fun. Are we ready to do this? Yeah. All right. Well, without further ado, let's kick this off. All right. When you think of silly symphonies, we think of some of the most iconic early cartoons by Walt Disney Animation. Before we start the talk about them, I'll be mentioning a few of the cartoons that made an impact in animation. There's so many that we can literally make another episode easily based off what didn't even make the cut. Yeah, when I learned how many, I'm like, whoa, (laughs) I gotta cut this down. Because there's just, it's so good. I mean, I learned a lot. So that's why I'm like so excited to just talk about this. We will definitely have to schedule a part two. Because I agree, there's (laughs) so much material to be had here. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, 
Yeah. Your comment right now is exactly why I've been loving these episodes so much because none of us claim to be Disney historians. We're right. nowhere close to being Disney historians, but what we are are fans. And mm-hmm. we love reading about how things were implemented and developed in the parks and the history behind them. And this is one of those cases, right? And yeah. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that we already have in our Disney knowledge base in the brain hole up here. But whenever we go into these topics, I feel like there's always so much that I learn and just so much more information has become available because of things like the D23 Expo, for instance, that just allow us to learn so much more about these topics. So you hit it right on the head, you know, with that comment. I it's it's just perfect and it describes <laughs> exactly why I love doing these episodes. So I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No problem. <laughs> so I also think it's important to pay um respect to someone who was very important when it came to creating silly symphonies. I'm talking about twentieth century composer Carl Stalling. Mm-hmm. Carl got his first break in music in the 1920s as a house organist in the Newman uh, Theater in Kansas City. Nice. There's going to be a connection to that. (laughs) He would play the organ while a silent film would be playing. This is where the magic starts. Soon enough, he caught the attention of a young fellow by the name of Walt Disney. Walt hires Carl as a musical director in the company, and while working for Disney... Carl invents the tick method. The tick method is used pretty much using a temple map as well as a metronome. What is a metronome? It's a device that helps musicians and or composers keep to the beat. It's pretty much a box with a level and a wand that'll go back and forth to a certain speed. This allowed animators to create the animation to the beat of the music all thanks to the temple map. This is pretty amazing to see how animation and music goes hand in hand at the same time. It leads the way to today's advancement in technology. Unfortunately, Stalling left the company in 1930, but he is definitely someone to thank because we got 75 Silly Symphony cartoons within the decade. That's super cool. Which is why we cannot fit them all in one episode. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Back in those days, they were cranking out the cartoons so fast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, they had to, to, to keep enough money coming in. And they're, I'm just always impressed that their creative juices were just able to just consistently flow for that many years at that output. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Right. With the success of Steamboat Willie in 1928... As no surprise, Walt wanted to create something new with art and music. So, of course, with UB iWorks, magic was about to be made. And on June 20th, 1929, the first Silly Symphony cartoon makes its debut at Carthay Circle. And it is my personal favorite cartoon, (laughs) The Skeleton Dance. (laughs) We know this well. Yes. (laughs) This black and white novelty cartoons scared the critics because of the nature of skeletons, black cats, and lots of bones dancing in the graveyard. Halloween in June, which should totally be a thing. (laughs) Thank you, Walt. 
(laughs) (laughs) However, the skeletons weren't all that scary, and they had their comical dance with hips laughing and their musical ways. The cartoon then debuts in San Francisco, and by the end of 1929, it was a hit when it debuted at the Roxy Theater in New York. If you're curious about the music for this cartoon, it's actually based off of Grieg's March of the Dwarfs. And I was like, this is cool. I'm like, hmm, all right. In 1933, the Three Little Pigs made their Silly Symphony debut. This cartoon brought home an Oscar in 1934 for Best Animated Short Film. It also brought home big bucks. With a budget of $22,000, it made $250,000. Let that sink in. That's a hit. Right? It was also voted 11th out of 50 greatest cartoons of all time. And in 2007, was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Practical Fiddler and Pfeiffer brought home all the bacon. Yes, bacon. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Couldn't help myself. (laughs) Uh, I don't know exactly how I feel about that right now. (laughs) That's that's my my favorite highlight so far. Bacon is so tasty. (laughs) Bacon is so tasty, but, you know, (laughs) cheerful. Sorry. So you can find nods to them at the Disneyland Resort. And we did speak of one in episode 251 in the history of Toontown. They have their own little window in Toontown. And they're literally showcased in DCA where Starbucks is located. Mm -hmm. So don't feel bad if you didn't catch that while reading their names on the building. I'm there with you when I learned their names a few years ago. You learn something new every day, right? Yep. Yep. (laughs) But it's, it's cool that their um, cafe faces the Carthay Circle where they debuted. I, yeah. I think it's such a sweet nod. And Three Little Pigs gave Walt basically the confidence to know that they were moving in this direction that was providing enough success to actually attempt doing a feature-length animated film and, and almost directly led to Snow White, which also debuted at the Carthay Circle. So I love that that symbiotic thing happens in the roundabout in Buena Vista Street. And it's yeah. good that you mentioned that because we're going to get there. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so Flowers and Trees is another cartoon that has big history behind it. A little background on the cartoon It's a tale of jealousy when spring love blooms. We see trees swaying to the music, birds chirping, a harp made of what looks like morning glory vines, flowers just dancing around in a circle, and the tick method is shown beautifully. Then we see a grouchy looking tree stump with gloomy color palette. You know that it's up to no good. Out of jealousy, The grouchy tree sets the forest on fire, but it comes back to haunt him, and things don't go well for this tree. Now, if you've seen this cartoon, did you happen to hear something familiar? 
Have, have you heard, seen it? Mm. Yes. It's I've, been a long time since I've seen that one. Yeah, I, I've seen it. I, I can't. I'm not sure what you're referring to, and I'm anxious okay. to hear what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when the disaster hits in the cartoon and you see the fire and the smoke and everything, you'll hear some of the storm that's in Mickey's the band uh, concert. Oh. So they use this similar music. Okay, cool. That's a cool Easter egg. Mm -hmm. Oh, when I was watching these, I'm like, wait, I've heard this. Where did this come from? Yeah. This was, yeah. (laughs) And there's going to be a whole lot more, which is cool. So here comes the historical park. This particular cartoon was already in the works while the three strip Technicolor camera was being created. Because of this invention, Walt decided to just redo just about 60% of this. And digging a little bit, you know, into this, I, I kind of understand why. The previous generation of, of camera only allowed red and green. And you couldn't get blue, purple, or yellow on film. So the process behind the three-strip film is literally taking red, blue, green strips that would be dyed to their complementary colors, which is cyan, yellow, and magenta. That allows the different colors of the film to come out as we see it. So that's how they got all the Technicolor, which I was like, whoa, I I did not know this. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, Like all that early film technology is fascinating to to watch it develop over the years. It's really impressive. So this cartoon was probably one of the first films to showcase this technology, and it totally paid back in Walt's favor. It earned him the first ever Best Animated Short Subject in Cartoons, and this was during the fifth award season. So they literally just opened up this category and was like, he's going to get it (laughs) because of what he did with this cartoon. That also ended the black and white Mickey Mouse cartoons. And it's because we see that with 1935's The Band Concert. Yeah. So that's the first film that comes out in cartoon. I mean cartoon. Color. (laughs) King Neptune was created in 1932. Months after Flowers and Trees, which is another influential cartoon. And some may say controversial as well. I'm just going to keep laughing if you keep laughing. (laughs) King Neptune gives us mermaids, pirates, a trident, and a good battle scene. It gives major influence onto one of Disney's Renaissance films. And if you guess The Little Mermaid, you are correct. Mm -hmm. I guess this is a spoiler if you haven't seen the cartoon, and I apologize. But you should definitely see it. Yeah, no spoiler alerts needed for something that's 80 years old. (laughs) (laughs) I was being nice. (laughs) Nah. Nah. (laughs) Speak freely. So, yes. The sea witch herself, Ursula, does the same thing 57 years later, where she's spinning the water into a whirlpool, just like you're talking about with Mm -hmm. the the ship spinning. It's pretty much identical, which is awesome. The main mermaid has red hair. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which was similar. Yes. Now, 
on to the controversial part. I'm going to be as clean as possible. But those mermaids. They're topless, yo. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I was like, you know, it's the 1930s. It's hey. very <laughs> subtly done, though. Yes. For example, yes. there's not a lot of features a, it's to a it. It's a shape, but there's no anatomical features, right? right. Yeah. There's there's nothing. Uh, what's the word? Bad? There's no definition to the shapes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They could be wearing a mermaid onesie. Yeah. Fair maybe? enough. Fair enough. That's a good one. Yeah. Also, their animation figure drawing wasn't to a level where they looked realistic in any way. Anyway, you know they yeah. they oh, yeah. still have. What I like to affectionately call noodle arm, where, <laughs> yes. where they're trying to make a graceful woman, but she just looks like she's a noodle, you know, just kind of yeah. <laughs> flopping around instead of making graceful, smooth movements, which by the time they got to Little Mermaid, Glenn Keane had nailed. Oh, yes. but, yeah. But, you know, it, it, is, it is funny to see uh, the things that you're talking about here. <laughs> Plus, with the frequency that they had to put these out they didn't have right. a lot of time to really define the shapes right. they wanted to get as basic as possible when they were creating these so even if you look at the mermaids if i'm not mistaken they have pie eye like mickey yep. yeah so they really went as basic as possible with the animation for them now if you thought you had seen king neptune in other cartoons you're also correct his design is actually used in other silly symphony cartoons He's actually seen as Santa in Santa's workshop. Mm-hmm. <gasps> what? Yes. I already knew that. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, as Santa in The Night Before Christmas. Not to be confused with Burden's masterpiece. <laughs> and Father Noah in Father Noah's Ark. King Neptune also makes an appearance in the 1936 Mickey short, Through the Mirror, and 1945's The Three Caballeros. Now, within a few decades of the many silly symphony cartoons, a few years later, we get introduced to one of the most beloved Disney characters. I'll give you guys a few hints. He has the sweetest disposition, never starts an argument, never shows any bit of temperament, never wrong, but always right, never dreams of starting a fight, and is the one who always gets stuck with all the bad luck. (laughs) <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. I was just going on the temperament part. Uh, you can forget about the last part that you said. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, I'm man. kidding. Uh, I don't know who it is. Do you have a guess, Hazen? Jiminy Cricket. Close. It's Donald. Okay. Oh, just that's close. not close at all. <laughs> you are being too kind because that is not close at all. Oh, Actually, Donald funny. makes his debut in 1934's The Wise Little Hen. That's right. While dancing to the sailor's hornpipe. Donald tries to fake a stomach pain, but then he's taught the value of labor by Mrs. Hen, which totally sounds relatable because who hasn't faked an illness to get out of something <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about never <laughs> never done I that. go to work every day that's right <laughs> <laughs> so in 
So the final Silly Symphony cartoon to talk about before wrapping this all up is The Old Mill. Oh, yes. An animal community that lives in an old abandoned windmill, suffering through a terrible storm that almost destroys their home. Created in 1937, this cartoon actually was the experiment of the multiplane camera. We get to see more in-depth characters, more in-depth, you know, effects. This eventually works out as you see the similar fashion of animation with Snow White and the Seven Dwarves making its debut a few weeks after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which goes back to exactly what you were talking about with uh. the cartoons just coming out one after the other. Yeah. This then led the way for future production of Pinocchio, Fantasia, and Bambi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those were the most influential Silly Symphony cartoons in animation. Yep. I, yeah. I, I want to say a couple things about The Old Mill real quick. Um, mm-hmm. As a super fan of animation, especially Disney animation, that is probably the most underrated thing that they've ever done. It doesn't have a lot of characters in it that people know, so a lot of people today don't know it. But yeah. in the canon of animation, I consider it to be one of the greatest works of art that has been created. It, it's it's stupendously good. And yeah. I have such a huge appreciation for the technical merit of that. I mean, they were inventing technologies when they were yeah. creating that. And they were inventing an art form, you know, and the, the men and women that worked on that short film created something that is a moment, not just in animation or film history, but in my opinion, in art history. Mm-hmm. And I, I would definitely encourage everybody to go watch all of the films we've discussed today, but, but really look at the old mill and appreciate it for its artistic value. I had the opportunity just a couple days ago to visit one of the great North American cities and visit the Fine Arts Museum in Montreal. And I recently got to see Rembrandt paintings, Picasso paintings, like really, really famous, iconic works of art. And to me, like I, I would put the old mill in the same breath as some of these works of art it's truly truly good yeah yeah that's well said uh i have to agree uh it is one of the most underrated and that's not to say that there aren't other silly symphonies that are underrated sure. with characters that are absolutely known yeah especially yeah. today you know like mama pluto i think is one of the better silly symphonies that most people forget about mm-hmm. you know because it's not one of the well-known ones but this kind of goes back to the conversation that we were talking about before, you know, where we talked about this an episode or two ago. Uh, unless you see something for yourself, it's something new to you. You could see right. all the pictures, you can see every video, but until you experience it yourself, you don't get a chance to connect with that piece. 
And one of the greatest things about the Silly Symphonies is that there was so much care put into how they were done because every single Silly Symphony was an experiment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them served a purpose to move animation forward for the Disney company, whether it was the skeleton dance and they were distributing because the skeleton dance, like you mentioned, Mel, was the first time that they implemented this procedure where they used the ticks and the metronome to synchronize music and animation. And then, like, Frolicking Fish became the one where they introduced continuous movements, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned Flowers and Trees was the first one in Technicolor. What's the the one with the candy and the cupcakes? Um, Cookie Carnival. Yes. Was the first one where they were animating the girl, which led to the movements that eventually gave Snow White that... You know, that really airy walk and flow that she had while she was walking. Mm -hmm. So every single one of them served this amazing purpose that it's funny to me now when you think about when the skeleton dance was first um, produced by by Walt and the studio, when he went out to the distributor and he said, hey, I want to put this out. And they rejected the skeleton dance. Mm-hmm. You know, the I think the, the telegram just said, more mice. That's what <laughs> we want because they were distributing Mickey Mouse cartoons, mm-hmm. right? So they're right. like, more mice. And Walt didn't give up. Like, he went on and he tried to find another distributor. That dude became the Dick Rowe of his time. You know, Dick Rowe, famously the guy that turned down the Beatles. There's a reference for you, Gavin. There you go. You know, but of his time, that's the guy that gave the Silly Symphonies away to somebody else. Yeah. You know, imagine how that guy felt his entire life, just knowing that he could have been a part of animation history. And who knows? Maybe they didn't even care at that point. Right. But there's so many amazing things that the Silly Symphonies have brought us. And I, I love the fact that there was just like two people composing the silly symphonies this entire time that they were creating them you know frank churchwill Mm -hmm. uh, wasn't classically trained but this is the guy that brought us who's afraid of the big bad wolf you know it turned into this big hit song and he just kind of created this music that was just goofy and and jubilant Mm -hmm. and yet lee harleen or lee harline i think i think it's harline say his name harline right yes Mm -hmm. uh lee harline was classically trained Mm -hmm. and so he was always put on these like more symphonic projects that sounded like these glorious symphonies and i think having the balance between those two is really what helped the silly symphonies uh progress in a way that it 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 brought people that maybe wouldn't have wanted to watch cartoons Mm -hmm. but had that element of the opera and the theater that just gave them the added visual elements with the gags in the background right you know and i think that was crucial to really making these successful Mm -hmm. i was wondering if you would agree on this in some way gavin and i was thinking about this when i went through the list and i was reading on you know the history and whatnot this kind of reminded me of how pixar is where oh sure each cartoon you know every cartoon that they they created every film excuse me they they progressed on something different yeah 
Yeah. And I was like, dang, this is a really cool similarity from what yeah. we're talking 50 years, 70 years, really from beginning to beginning. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's a great, great correlation that both studios utilize the short film format for experimentation, for the forwarding of technologies and effects and programming in the case of Pixar and to wonderful result because then they push that into their feature films. You know, right. I, I, I think that's absolutely a similarity between those two. Um, and yeah, it's cool that those studios still do it today because I don't know of a lot of other animation studios that create short films. I can only think of one off the top of my head, and that's Ardman Animation in England. Mm. Uh, I I can't think of any others that on on a regular basis create short films uh, and have a regular program that helps them develop their talent and their technology. So that's a that's a interesting thing that Disney has always done, and mm-hmm. it's amazing that people haven't followed suit and seen the success of that and tried to mimic it, but it, it really hasn't happened to any great extent. Yeah. Well, I mean, when the silly symphonies were around, uh, and, and I guess we see this today, right? Everybody's trying to play catch up with Disney. Everybody wants to emulate Disney. Everybody wants to do and have the success that Disney has with their animation, with the studios. Um, however, I think we've reached a point where, Disney animation isn't necessarily really pushing that envelope anymore. And we talked about this recently when we talked about Into the Spider-Verse, right? There's people that are moving over to a studio like Sony or other places because they feel like they have that ability to experiment and, you know, go into these other avenues of animation that we haven't necessarily seen before. But it might also fit into the model of if it ain't broke, don't fix it for Disney, right? right. And that's yeah. possibly why they don't experiment as much as we would want them to. But it's it's remarkable. I love I love all the silly symphonies. I this uh, this topic actually was great because uh, in our in our storage we have a like a tin that I got a long time ago. That's the Silly Symphonies. It was the volume one. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorite collector's items uh, that I have because it has, it doesn't have all of the Silly Symphonies on there. It was just a, a couple of DVDs, but it had the Skeleton Dance and it had Hell's Bells. And uh, it did have a collection uh, of really great Silly Symphonies that I think everybody should get a chance to watch. Uh, a lot of them, I think. <clears throat> maybe available <clears throat> through video websites. Uh, and if maybe I find one, I might put at least the old mill in the <laughs> blog post of this episode, because like Gavin said earlier, it's a masterpiece mm-hmm. yeah. uh, as far as how it was constructed and the story behind it. It's just, Oh, it, it's, it's a beautiful showcase of everything that they had been working towards up until that point. And it demonstrates how how technically savvy 
all the animators were as far as pulling off the depth perception that they needed that brought us every other film after that. Yeah. You know, so I, like I said, I'm going to try to find this and I'll put it in the blog post, podcasters.com slash 254 if you guys want to check it out. Hopefully I find it. Uh, if not, I'll put a, a one or two other silly symphonies that I, I think are awesome, including the skeleton dance. Uh, I'm hoping that I find Woodland Cafe because that's one of my favorites. Well, that's what I was going to ask you because uh, we know that Skeleton Dance is Melissa's favorite. We know that The Old Mill is my favorite. What's your favorite Silly Symphony? Um, I, I don't know if I necessarily have one in particular because I think there's some that are done so well that melodically they stay in my head for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And so if you ask me this, this question six months from now, if I just happen to watch some of the others, I may claim that one as my favorite. Ah. But Woodland Cafe is one of the ones that I always hold in my top three because the jazz segments that are in that Silly Symphony are so great. Yeah. That it just, regardless of all of the other ones, you know, a skeleton dance again, also one of my favorites. I think it, it it's just it, it just broke so much ground for animation and the synchronization of audio and kind of where everything was with these talkies, you know, that they were putting together. Not not the crunchy chips. I mean. Talkies, like talking movies, you know, in that era. I just want to make that clear. Uh, but yeah, I, if I had to right now choose which one my favorite one was, I'd probably put Woodling Cafe at the top. Nice, nice. Uh, my honorable mention would be The Goddess of Spring. I don't know if you guys have seen that one, but I love it because it's so weird, so dark. So mm. 1930s, it would never happen today. I love it. It's like a, it's like being transported to a completely different planet. Almost, it's so weird. It is very weird. It is very weird. Ironically enough, if I had to give an honorable mention, it's also very musically related. I'd probably put Music Land as my honorable mention. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. I just love the fact that all of the instruments are essentially talking to each other. And they're using instruments right. to communicate with each other. <laughs> I, I just thought that was such it's, a genius concept for them to put together. It's meta before meta was a thing. Totally. 100%. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, um, I, I know that we're kind of wrapping up here, but you mentioned the Beatles. And I wanted to throw in a fact that I learned recently. It's a Beatles fact and a Disney fact all in one. Ooh. So, nice. In 1970, basically, the Beatles broke up, but as a business, they were intertwined and litigation had to happen for them to be dissolved as a, an entity, basically. And the, the holdout to this process was John Lennon. And John Lennon finally relented in 1974 and finally signed the papers to dissolve the Beatles. Um, a lawyer for the group had to track him down as he was on vacation and he was on vacation at none other than Walt Disney world in Florida. (laughs) And he signed the papers in his room at the Polynesian. And that is where the Beatles finally came to an end. Was oh, at Walt wow. Disney at Disney World. Yeah, was at the Polynesian at Walt Disney World. This is a fact that I just learned last week. My mind wow. is still blown about it. I had no idea, 
and it's still rolling around in my head as incredible. But yep, he was on vacation at Disney World, a very brand new Disney World at that time. Wow. Yep. Wow. <laughs> I know. When we're, was we're this? Both in mind 19, what? Seventy-four. So the the park was around two years old. Um, all they had was the Polynesian and the Contemporary at that point, I believe. And uh, Magic Kingdom was it, and Epcot was still seven years away. So, yeah. Wow. Wow, that's crazy (laughs) to think about that because when you think about how the Beatles were already kind of talking to Disney at one point about being a part of the Jungle Book and providing Mm -hmm. music for that film just, you know, less than a decade prior. Yep. That's crazy. Right? <laughs> wow. I I still can't believe it. I well, I almost I can't believe it as a fact in and of itself. More than that, I can't believe I never knew that. Because uh, I've been a lifelong fan of both Disney and the Beatles. Like they're my like those two things and the NBA. Those are like my three fandoms, right? And I no, I like to think I know most things about those things. And this was a big fact I had no idea about. That's kind of a cool fact. It, it kind is. Of is. It kind of is. <laughs> wow, they broke up at Disney. Right? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy to think. Yeah. Uh, well, this was a, an awesome little history lesson, Mel. Thank you. Yeah, You're welcome. It was great. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I you know you you both said it at the beginning of this segment that we might have to dedicate a second part to just talking about the silly symphonies at some yeah. point and yeah. in and of themselves because it, the history is one thing, but what each one brought to the table and how they interpreted certain things, I think is really worth talking about in an, in a future episode. So let's let's put a pin in that one. I'd love to have that episode. Sweet. Yeah. So All right. Well, uh, if you have a favorite Silly Symphony, we want to hear from you. Join the conversation over on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter, and let us know what your favorite Silly Symphony is. Remember, I'm going to try to find a couple. Hopefully, I find the old mill. I'll put them up in the blog post for the episode, podcasters.com slash 254 if you're interested. And hey, while you're on the website, uh, remember that this episode of Podcasters, like all others, are listener-supported by listeners just like you. We like to call them our podcast fairy godparents, but they call themselves the FGP squad. So while you're on the website, just go up to the menu and search for FGP or go to podcasters.com slash FGP for more information on how you can become part of the FGP squad as well. You can join for as little as $1 a month. But uh, starting in June, we're going to start giving back to you. And for anyone that's on the FGP squad, we're going to start putting you into these random giveaways where we give uh, away some Podcateers gear. And we're starting off with the introduction of the Podcateers Fairy Godparent shirt, yes. which I've had some questions about in the past, but we've never really made it available and this is the the way that we're going to launch it. So I'm going to have some uh, FGP shirts made. It's going to look just like the button, the logo that's on the FGP site uh, if you want to check it out. And uh, 
we're just going to give them away every few months randomly to someone on the FGP squad. And if your name happens to come up sometime in the future again and you've already won one of those shirts, you can get a second one if you want, or we'll give you any other shirt in the gear section. It's up to you. More information is coming up, but if you want to join the FGP squad, this is a great time to do it. Uh, again, podcasters.com slash FGP. To everyone on the FGP squad, we just want to say thank you for all of your support. And we look forward to all the cool stuff that's coming for all of you guys in the future. Uh, another great way to help out the podcast, if you happen to shop on Amazon, podcasters.com slash Amazon is the best place to start your next purchase. You'll find a big old Amazon button that you can press on it, and guess what? It'll take you to Amazon. It's exactly where you were going to go with a slight detour, but you help us out doing it this way because we get a small commission from Amazon for mentioning them on the podcast and you making your purchase through our link. To everyone that's already taken a moment to go through our link, we just want to say thank you because that helps as well. And that's it. I think it's time to wrap up the episode. What do you guys think? Sweet. All right. So until next time, keep dreaming. Keep moving forward and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Major luck. <laughs>